the usual lead-in won't do today. I'm not going to preface what's coming with that cheery, bracing, basically upbeat intro. It wouldn't be right. Not going to do it. It wouldn't be right. I'm not going to do it because this one's grim in the extreme. You might well not want to listen beyond this point. It's somehow worse, a lot worse, because this one's our London. It's not something horrific that happened in the remote past, seven centuries ago, and thus somehow ameliorated, if that's the word, or cushioned, or buffered, or muffled by time boundless and bare, like lone and level sands stretching far away. No, this is our time, our London, and it's somehow made worse by coming up, it's just the accident of the date, only a day or so after that Copenhagen shooting, and even as news of the latest American horror show, Illinois this time, is pitching up. History can be an escape, but this isn't. Okay, let's get it over with. On July 6, 2005, London was elated, full of joy. It was announced that our bid for the 2012 Olympics had won. Best of times. 24 hours later, worst of times. Less than 24 hours later, it was bright and early the following morning. Rush hour on July 7, 2005. Three bombs exploded on the underground. A fourth bomb went off in a number 30 bus at Tavistock Square. Terrible loss of life, 56 people. Many others badly injured. Al-Qaeda claimed responsibility. And that's enough arms-lengthening the story. Alice O'Keefe, Bernie Scranny, and George Sarabakis, Londoners, all three of them, were there. They weren't passing by. They weren't bystanders. They weren't spectators. They were bombed. If what happened to them is at the end of a line, I'm not sure there's a fitting word to attach to this end of that line to pull those memories into our purview. The best I can come up with is the adjective raw. This is recent London history, and it's very raw. You've been warned. Alice O'Keefe first. She was a 25-year-old freelance journalist. She was in the wrong place at the wrong time. How glib those words are. She was on the tube at King's Cross. The bomb exploded in the carriage she was in. That obscenity happened to Alice O'Keefe and her fellow passengers. There's no right way to introduce her. No right way to package her words, her memories. To call it a tale, a story, an account. To put it in any of those ways feels almost indecent. The best is silence. When the train slammed to a halt and the carriage flooded with thick black smoke, I thought, that's it, this is how I'm going to die. The train's on fire and we're all going to asphyxiate slowly. I heard screams from the carriage in front. Beside me a woman was moaning, Jesus, Jesus, which seemed appropriate, although I'm not a believer. I wanted to pray too, but couldn't quite let myself. I'm claustrophobic, and if anyone had asked me to describe hell, this would have been it. I felt myself shutting down. I curled up against the glass partition and wrapped my coat around my face, trying to keep my breathing under control. The first five minutes were the worst. After that, it became clear that the smoke wasn't getting any thicker and some air was still circulating. 
Somewhere a woman was still screaming hysterically, much to the annoyance of everyone around me. There was a feeling that if anyone lost their nerve, the situation would become impossible. I didn't let myself imagine the screamer was in a carriage full of corpses, as I now realize she probably was. It was thirty interminable minutes until we were evacuated. As we straggled towards the bright lights of King's Cross, I saw the injured for the first time. One young man staggering and soaked in blood, whose staring eyes are still imprinted on my brain. A middle-aged woman with her eye a sticky mess. I realized that I had been one of the lucky ones. I was crazed with shock when I got out of the station. I got through to my mum on the phone. She told me that there had been several incidents across London, but neither of us knew that my train had been bombed. I decided to try and get to her office in Old Street. I was still so confused that I walked in the wrong direction and found myself lost in the scrum of commuters. Nobody seemed to notice that my face and hair were black with soot. After wandering in circles for a while, I found a black cab. My mum didn't recognize me as I was blackened and my eyes were still goggling with shock when I arrived at her office. I then watched events unfold on television. Now it all seems like a bad dream. Bernie Scranny was caught in the Edgware Road blast. I got on a circle line tube at Notting Hill and was heading towards the Guardian where I work in the advertising department. The train was full and I stood immediately behind the driver's cab in the first carriage. We set off and another tube began to pass in the opposite direction. Almost immediately there was a huge bang and flash. I knew it was a bomb. Our train came to a halt and there were clouds of black smoke. A second later and the explosion would have punched a hole in our carriage. The emergency lighting came on and we heard screaming from under the other train. We could hear a guy shouting, help me, help me. Some people tried to get out, but the doors wouldn't open. We didn't know if our driver was okay, and I started banging on the cab door. At first there was no answer. Eventually he opened it. He was quite dazed, perhaps concussed. His windows had shattered, but not blown in. He opened the outer door and looked at the track ahead. There were huge pieces of metal which had been ripped out of their rivets lying about. The driver warned it would not be safe to get out if the track was live. The guy under the train was still screaming. The driver must have taken the brunt of the blast, but he got it together very quickly and made an announcement that there had been an accident. No one was hurt on our train, and after a while he walked down the track and met transport officials who had come down from Edgware Station. We were down there for about 20 minutes. Eventually they let us out along the rails. The guy under the train had stopped screaming. I think he'd died. There were passengers coming out of the other trains with cuts and lacerations to their faces. I had smoke black all over my face and hands. I went out and had a cup of tea in a cafe. My hands were shaking. George Sarabacus was the driver of the number 30 bus in Tavistock Place. I am just relieved to be here and to be able to see my wife and children. Many other people have not been so fortunate. I feel for the people who have perished and for their families. Myself and the other drivers in London have an important job, and we are going to continue to do that as best we can. We are going to continue our normal lives. We are not going to be intimidated. I'm not going to do the usual sign-off. 
I am going to make a London recommendation completely unrelated to what happened on July 7th, 2005. A really good fit with the Tuesday afternoon Bohemian Bloomsbury walk is to drift along up that way a couple of hours early. The walk starts at 2 p.m. from Holborn Tube and have a pre-walk lunch at the Café Le Cordon Bleu in Pied Bull Yard, just off Bloomsbury Square. It's the cafe attached to the Cordon Bleu Cookery School. As you'd expect, how, how could it be otherwise? The food is superb, as is the setting. Pied Bull Yard is delightful, and it's very affordable. We'll set you up perfectly for that superb walk, a superb walk in a setting that's delightful and at a price that's very affordable. Parfait. Signing off now. This has been the London Walks Today in London History podcast from www.walks.com. See you tomorrow.